0: Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole Presents, a space podity, a deep dive into David Bowie's discography. And what we do here, we roll our magical diamond die that tell us which album that we are going to be talking about. Last episode, we talked about Let's Dance. Uh, Bowie's album from 1983 When we rolled the dice It brought us all the way back to 1970 Bowie's third record Which was titled Man Who Sold the World Actually, I this hate is... to interrupt you the, yep, 19... no more. 1971 they Sure. From what I, I see it's, It was released November 4th, 1970
1: um, but, uh, but You know what? I might be thinking of the American version That changes everything I'll come back to this later Continue
0: Yes, yes um, who you just heard was my esteemed colleague and, uh, C- uh, Kathy corrects a lot. My good friend, my colleague of, uh, uh, in all things in life, that would be Stephen Earl. Steven, how you doing out there? I'm all right. Uh, always happy to try to correct you. And then
1: I don't take offense when you correct me right back because I was wrong.
0: <laughs> and, uh, if, me and Steven are together, and when we say together, we're talking, we are all three in three different cities, talking through the magic of the internet, because we understand the world right now, but uh, somewhere east of us would be my good friend, Eric Monroe Anderson. Hey.
2: And just for the record, you know, I just want, at the end of this season, when uh, Mark, I know you like to make trophies for all of us um, I just want you to remember I would never correct you not over a silly year especially a year that's incorrect I just just just, just
0: <laughs> saying I would never do that to you you generally will do those offline and I appreciate that you don't expose <laughs> me to my own flaws because I am flawless <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> look upon me yes. look upon my works <laughs> in despair <laughs> yes dear leader yes <laughs> all right so, gentlemen, uh, tonight we're going to talk about the man who sold the world. Um, and uh, I think it's fitting for these times as we last said in our kind of brief update, making sure it was a wellness check, making sure everyone knows that we're A OK. And we're going to continue this to give you folks who are self quarantining, self distancing, social distancing, a little bit of entertainment. So, we're going to con- keep this train rolling and hopefully maybe even put out a little bit more content as we have a little bit more time in our hands as sticks saying about season three, folks talking about (laughs) sticks
1: and all the side projects. They're,
2: they're about, they're getting, they're rounding up to uh, do another tour whenever this uh, coronavirus is over. Was
0: sticks about that 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 yesterday? Were they
1: part of damn Yankees?
0: No, I don't think anyone affiliated with sticks, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, we'll talk, because we'll talk that about is Dan- definitely going to be in season three.
1: Yeah. We'll talk That's about Yankees. I think we've talked about damn Yankees and Ted Nugent's, uh, bullet reflecting guitar once. And we'll talk about it again. <laughs> Super. But,
0: uh, but other than that folks, um, I think, uh, we should do a little bit of light housekeeping. I'm sure you guys are very familiar with doing housekeeping during this day and age. But is there anything on the news wire, whether it be nine inch news or the bully bulletin, the Bowie Bulletins, my goodness.
2: Uh Rock and Roll Hall of Fame show is uh postponed, of course, as it should be. So uh we'll get to see nine inch nails perform live on HBO whenever they fix that.
1: Yes, also postponed is the Run the Jewels Rage Against the Machine show in April that I spent more money than I am going to admit on this podcast on tickets for, because I would blush. God damn it. But it's fine. I'm not sad. The show's postponed. I just want that money back. <laughs> you know, every cent counts you need right, it right now. now. Oh yeah. You need it. Uh, Buy some matter- toilet Listen, paper. Yeah. All that matters as far as events go guys, nothing matters. Being healthy, getting through this is what matters. I am not sad that baseball is gone. I'm not Mark. You're not, you don't give a shit. I, I don't care. No, it's just it is. What it is. Who cares? Um, any shows that we're going to go to, whatever, any movies that are going to come out. Nah, we'll see them one day. Uh, but I really fucking hope that by September, this is cleared up so I can go to that Romstein show in LA because, uh, well, my son is looking forward to it. And so am I. So if you hear me out there, scientists, Uh, Germany-American relations hinge on this thing getting solved by September.
0: Well, I mean, all you have to do is look towards where it originated. And I know that it's hard to take a whole lot of stock in the truth of what comes out of China as it is a state-run media. Um, However, it does look to be pretty accurate that things are back up to some sort of semblance of normalcy. With stores reopening, um, and uh, makeshift hospitals closing down, and this thing kind of started around December, and here we are in April, so it could be like you said, July, August. But you know, one thing that is on our side is the warmer weather. Generally, does sort of sink viruses back into the ether, uh, and As these things mutate, um, they generally... Viruses are crafty little fuckers because um, they don't want to be too lethal to kill the host. So they start mutating to have less, I guess, deadly strains. Um, I mean, it's clearly not optimal that we have to wait this bad boy out. Uh, It's clearly, you know, if we had been a little bit better prepared and maybe not fired the office that deals with these sorts of things in 2018 Uh, we could have potentially have been a little bit more better prepared but uh that is what it is and hopefully all you listeners out there are staying safe washing your hands not touching your face and just keeping your distance and just being smart It's what we need and that's
2: that soliloquy was the uh, the Elliot Gould scene from Contagion. Thank you, Mark. <laughs>
1: I, can't, I can't watch any kind of a world ending or, or virus movie right now. I don't know how people do that. I, I, I want to go as far away from that genre as possible right now. Um, it's
2: funny. My wife's like, I don't want to watch any movie of like how the world used to be because it's never going to be that way again. <laughs> like, oh God. <laughs> That's a,
1: um, uh, by the way, I'm uh, the whole not touching your face thing. I fail that multiple times a day. I can't do it. I just, I just can't. I don't know. I'd have to have my hands strapped to my sides. It's unfortunate, but it's true. I just, I, I mean, I, okay.
0: I, For those out there, 1918. Look up the Spanish flu. This thing, that Spanish flu, was much worse than what we're dealing with today. That thing is the most deadly pandemic in modern history. And they were able to get back to some sort of modern society. They didn't learn anything because here we are, basically a millennium later. <laughs> it seems that way, and we're just reliving that science, same story. But we will be able to go back outside one day. We will be able to gather one day. Just think positive, and we have technology, modern science, and the savior machine is working on it right now. So. <laughs> Yes, the, the
1: the only folly that might be happen that might happen is that it starts to recede, and then Americans are idiots, and they all go congregate too much, like in one week, yep. and everybody gets sick again. So
2: anyhow, think that, of the, that's think what think happened, the orgies. But... The orgies. The first week that the the uh, the quarantine <laughs> ban is lifted. Yeah, just sloppy, sweaty, sticky orgies. Yeah, bohemian oh, grove. As far as the eye can see. Stay far away. I, mean, from I don't,
0: bohemian I, grove. I can't tell you how many key parties I've had to cancel in the last two weeks. It's been uh, just a nightmare for me.
2: <laughs> well, you know, you are, you are a
1: locksmith uh, by hobby. So <laughs> and one other thing that came That's up a- that is not news. Uh, I'm cutting you guys off right there is, uh, <laughs> I found it interesting today that a friend of the show, literally when we say that, you know, a lot of times it's, uh, an assumption but we don't know if it is for sure, sure. but uh rob sheridan from nine Inch nails former guest he pointed out on uh on twitter that a movie that came out in 1985 called the quiet earth which he brought up obviously because right now the earth is quiet and it was kind of an end of the world last man on earth movie uh, it was the the inspiration for the movie the or the song the day the world went away i never knew that I never knew that. Look it up. The Quiet Earth. Directed by George Murphy. The Quiet Earth.
0: Excellent. Good recommendation. Thanks, Rob. Um, Which I'm sure he is an active listener to this. I'm sure that he's dug into all of our back catalog. And uh, I really do enjoy watching you and Stephanie talk on social media. It is very very entertaining and you guys are adorable. Okay, with Agreed. that said, <laughs> we did some house cleaning. <laughs> um what what's next? What's next on the old agenda?
2: Are we going to go are we ready to go to back to 1970?
1: Yes. Yeah, Let's do it. We're going to
2: take it back. All right. 1970. The Summer of Love has just has just happened. We are Balls deep in Vietnam. And stop the presses. Just just throw it all away, guys. The Beatles have disbanded, as Paul McCartney announced. The Beatles have disbanded. So, hey, Apollo 13 happened uh, this year um, in which uh, they had a little bit of a oxygen tank exploding technical difficulty. And we got a pretty fantastic uh, Tom Hanks movie out of it. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, there we go. Oh, yeah. We started carpet bombing Cambodia in 1969. President Nixon la- launched a secret campaign called Operation Menu, where he sent her B-52s over. And, um, you know, that uh, was absolutely devastating. Um, obviously, there was... Uh, some bad people over there that we were going after. Um, but, uh, how it, how it result? it ended up in leading up to 1970 with the Kent state university, uh, the, the, the protest against Cambodia and, um, where the, uh, the guards kind of like for the national guard or so soldiers, they, uh, attacked students there in the, in the demonstration. And very shortly after Nixon pulled, pulled tro- troops out of, uh, Cambodia. Uh, so this is crazy. There was a cyclone in Bangladesh. Five hundred thousand people died. It's um, it's insane. I've, I, you know, I'm sure I've heard about it here. But that's how, that's like a an insane amount of people. And uh, that's like kind of the big news this year. Um, if we if we hop on down to pop culture, um, you know, Let It Be was dropped this year, and shortly after it was announced that the Beatles broke up um jackson five uh abc started blowing up and uh war what is it good for so um some other albums um we got bridge over troubled water by simon and garfunkel we had after the gold rush by mr neil young deja vu by crosby stills nash and young we had led zeppelin three uh now and the finally and and Steve, I'll let you take it away, but something that will definitely inform this album we're talking about was Black Sabbath's Paranoid.
1: That's not the first time we'll talk about Black Sabbath tonight. Thank you. And that's specifically why I asked what, out, what year this album came out in. So I'm excited to bring them up again.
2: Um, popular films this year. Ah, I could talk a little bit about these. Um, you had uh, Catch-22 and Patton. Um but my one of my favorite and probably a controversial pick but on her Majesty's secret service uh one of my favorite bond films came out this year with the one one and done george Lazenby. um oh yeah and then uh mash the movie came out this year all right well that's all i got for 1970 but i'm sure someone was cracking a bat or kicking a pigskin somewhere
1: in the world of sports we'll keep it quick tonight folks The fourth Super Bowl happened. It was the Chiefs over the Minnesota Vikings. How exciting for them. Over in basketball, remember, the NBA and the ABA both existed. Over in the ABA, the Indiana Pacers beat the Los Angeles Stars. Yeah, the Stars don't exist today, obviously. Maybe they became the Clippers. I don't know. The New York Knicks beat the Lakers. That's exciting. I think it's the last time the Knicks did anything worth a damn. And over in baseball, the Baltimore Orioles won their second World Series over the Reds. And it's still strange to me whenever I read about the Orioles being a good baseball team. And that was the, uh, that was the first time the Brewers played their first game as the Brewers at Milwaukee County Stadium that year. After they uh, moved from Seattle. I didn't know the Brewers started in Seattle. I'll be damned. The Seattle Pilots. I'm guessing. I don't know what they were called there, but sure. Yeah. Keeping it brief. That's sports. Sports. Well, you know why I'm keeping it? You know why I'm keeping it brief, guys? Because this album that we're going to talk about, I've got a lot to say. So let's get closer to it. Let's do it. Um. So
2: this was recorded. Uh, in uh London at Trident Studios and our you know good friend Tony Visconti was helming this record it followed up Space Oddity um but they kind of went in a different direction here um they had a a new lineup um and feel free to fill in the blanks here but um uh, Bowie had just married Angie and they were enjoying their life as newlyweds which meant he was out of the picture for a lot of the production of this album um Mick Ronson who was who was kicking about in the last album a little bit in the background is now a main player um he and Tony essentially wrote most of the music on this album uh Bowie composed little things here and there um but uh yeah mostly mostly mick and tony um we also uh who are the other dave who are the other players on this bad boy
1: it's david bowie on your vocals and guitars it's mick ronson on guitars and backing vocals it's tony Visconti really killing it on the bass in this one that tony plays the bass throughout the whole thing and he's also doing the piano the guitar the recorder and backing vocals as well as some production mick Woodman Z, Woody Woodman Z on drums and percussion. And he really kills it on this one. A gentleman named Ralph Mace on the Moog. And uh, our friend Ken Scott is the engineer. Apparently they couldn't. So these are all guys we've talked about for, for the majority. All these guys we've talked about before. I think we've talked about Ralph Mace well, before.
2: Well, they, they couldn't but get uh, uh, Ray, Wakeman, apparently. But uh,
1: yeah. he would have had a field day on this but, you fucking know, album. The, uh, the, the court... This was this is the proto spiders. You swap out the bass player, and you got the spiders from Mars here.
2: There you go. Um, yeah, so they got into it, and a lot, a, a lot of times, it wasn't super collaborative with Bowie. He'd walk in, there'd be a song done, he'd hop on it, hop out. Um, some some songs you can tell more than others. Some do really feel like there's this awesome rock band that Tony and Mick are doing on one side, <laughs> and Bowie, you know. And they kind of guest stars, David Bowie on the, on on the track. And then some very much feel like a, like a, a Bowie invested, uh, song in production. We'll talk about those as we get to them.
1: Yeah. But I think throughout the, the, the music is consistent. I think that the, you can tell it's the same band on it. It's not as piecemeal as like space oddity. You know, this Correct. is definitely, uh, yeah, this is definitely like it, 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 it's the Ronson. Like you said, the, the, the Ronson Visconti and Woody show and they're, uh, yeah, I think uh, actually that's I think the album sounds the way it is, because those guys just the three of them just jammed the stuff out. And did you mention that they you mentioned they recorded this one back in uh, in London, I believe. But uh, they, 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 a lot of it was written and in, in rehearsed in, in Bowie's house. Uh, he lived in a, a converted mansion. A yes, flat.
2: you are correct. You are correct. And I believe. Some visitors had described it as. Having the ambiance of Dracula's living room.
1: <laughs> yeah, they play it. They play in the basement a lot. I just think the reason this album sounds the way it does, it definitely there. It this album has a, just a certain feel to it, and I think the the fact that they recorded it in his basement, jammed a lot of, or didn't record it there, but jammed it, a lot yeah. of it out at that time. Yeah, demoed it. I think. Uh, it definitely feels like a rock band beat, beat beat these kick these ideas around late at night uh, before Bowie got on him And, uh, I, I really, it shows it's good. And I, I, think that David Bowie definitely, I don't know if it was a point of pride, but there, he, he disputed quite a bit in the press later that, you know, no, oh, come on. I, I helped compose these tracks. I, I was, this is, this, this is one of my albums. Of course I was invested. Uh, I, I don't know if he's having revisionist history there or what, but I think all signs do point to, the way that some of these songs come off that he definitely was preoccupied at times. Yes. Uh, not to the detriment of the record. It's never no. bad. It just seems like this, this album sometimes definitely sounds like a rock band that he happens to sing on, not David Bowie and his band.
2: I would say that there are, are uh, it's almost 50, 50, like half the songs you can, you can tell it's structured the way it is. Cause Bowie had his thumb in, in the process, you know? And then some of them was just like, All right, I'll slip in some lyrics between those uh, riffs.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, Let's, for example, um, uh, the black uh, was it backcountry rock, black country Uh rock. Um, That's I think it's the prime example of that. We'll get we'll get to that track. Right. Um,
2: So I I I don't know about you guys. I'm sure it's uh, once again. Like, just first of all, my whole first half hour on this episode, guys, I got to apologize right now. I just came off like a big, like just a big ignorant asshole, uh, not knowing anything about music. And right now I'll tell you, this is the first time I've done a run through of this album. The first time I knew some of the songs, some of the songs I had heard, but I couldn't tell you what song or what album it had come off of. Um, Obviously the title track, I know backwards and forwards. Um. But this was my first time giving it the whole experience. So um, I do not have nostalgia. I don't have any like this was never on my short list of Bowie albums uh, before I sat down with it uh, for this process. So it's been an interesting experience. But that's that's my history with this one.
0: What about you, Mark? My history with this one, um, I will have to say that. Uh, when I did purchase this record, uh, when I, we all worked at the record store together, it was essentially a gem that never really came through in the use section too often. And I think I did buy it brand new, uh, during the, um, what remaster was it? I think it was the 1999 remaster, uh, the reissue there. And, um, this one always surprised me of how solid it was from top to bottom. It wasn't one of the ones that I would uh, often find myself going back to unless I was doing like, let me go through Bowie's catalog again. Um, I do remember always kind of more having a higher impression of this record more so than um, even Hunky Dory uh, because it does have a little bit more of a one foot into Bowie's folk rock and then one foot into uh, kind of the Ziggy uh, stardust sound a little bit more of a harder rock sound um and sometimes even a certainly see, yeah i mean you could even see nick ronson just being kind of like all right we're going to be doing this kind of jagger and richards kind of thing here and i'm going to do all your arrangements and we're going to really just goose your your career into the direction that it should be going And uh, you're right. I mean, the title track alone uh, from uh, all of the Nirvana unplugged um, kind of fanfare that was around that song. And, you know, Kurt essentially saying this is a David Bowie song. And then uh, we'll get into that track, obviously, and we're probably going to do that track sideways and upside down uh, just to really give it the, the do that it deserves. Um, But, you know, I, I, I will have to say that I always look fondly back at this record. Um, sometimes the songs that I, I forget about um, they surprise me. This is a, like I said, solid record from top to bottom, and it is kind of one of Bowie's, uh, I would say, unsung records. I don't think this one gets enough fanfare that it deserves.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of where Mark's at, but not as much. I think Mark's actually. Uh, uh, from the way he describes it, has always been more tuned into this one than I have. I bought it probably around the same time. I've owned it for decades, and I've always liked it. And some of my favorite tracks, like all the Mad Men, I've always been some of my favorite songs. I've, uh, that song's always been one that just blows my mind. Um, I've always thought it was a, a, a solid album. but I, I could, I would go years without listening to it, and I would always lean towards Hunky Dory a little more from this era is the one I would like better of the two. I don't know why to compare them, but if I did, but I think, uh, I think my opinion might've shifted more to this one now. I don't know. I, I definitely, it's a, it's a great album. And, um, the, the thing that strikes me is I've always really appreciated it, but I don't think I remembered how actually hard it is. It's, uh, it's a, it's a rocker and, uh, maybe it's just cause I sat and focused on it and I just, you know, I just was like, oh yeah, man, like this is, through and through it's, it's a rocking record. It's a, uh, it's, it's proto metal at, at points. I'd say. And, um, yeah, it definitely was a transitional, uh, you know, uh, the the, 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 stuff that starts here definitely becomes a spider from Mars. And if someone were to look in the history books and say, this is the start of the glam thing, I'd be like, ah, maybe it's got Mick Ronson on it, but it doesn't sound glammy to me. It sounds more like Sabbathy Zeppelin to me.
2: Oh yeah. So yeah. yeah. We'll talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. the the half the songs are about, you know, ancient
1: gods and devils and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even even yeah, lyrics on exactly to your point with the lyrics definitely and I'll bring that up again too. But even just I, I think Mick Ronson's approach on this is a little bit less uh, stardust and a little bit more just uh that riff rocks yeah. man. I mean, it's all the
2: stuff. whole album is written around minor keys. Um which you know, It's a very broad term for darker music, um, Mm -hmm. which would not, I mean, you know, Ziggy is amazing, but I wouldn't necessarily define it as, you know, dark music. So,
1: yeah, Ziggy's, yeah, Ziggy's also kind of like a a Broadway play. This is definitely not that. Um, Mark, do you have any notes on the general reception when this was released?
0: I do. Uh, so. It sold a little bit better commercially in the U.S. than it did in the U.K. when it was first released. Um, uh, Critically, uh, it generally got favorable reviews uh, all throughout. Um, A lot of our favorite bands of today generally do cite this uh, record as an influence uh, for its kind of dark... Uh, lyrics and it's more of a harder edge uh, musical style uh, such bands as Susie and the banshees the cure gary newman and nine inch nails um, and of course kurt cobain listed it as his number 45 uh, in his top 50 favorite albums of all time um, i don't really see the glam uh, that you were uh, indicating but you know mark Boland's t-rex was at the height of their powers. And you can absolutely see David Bowie playing with the androgyny of glam rock with the album cover. And speaking of the album cover, when it was originally uh, released, uh, it has kind of a white uh, cartoonish looking uh, logo for David Bowie's name. And underneath that is a guy in a cowboy hat, holding a rifle in front of what looks to be a church or potentially an asylum um, with a blank word balloon. Um, Apparently Bowie wanted that cowboy figure uh, to say, um, roll up your sleeves and show us your arms. Uh, It was a pun on record players, guns and drug use, and apparently Mercury, the label that this was originally released on, said no thank you, and so they just left the balloon blank. Um, But then in 1971, um, there was a reprint with Bowie kind of laid out like one of those French girls that Leo draws in Titanic wearing a man dress um, with his long blondish hair kind of posing uh and that is the album cover that we mostly see today pretty much everywhere on a recent episode if you are watching that high fidelity um i guess remake reinterpretation um the title character uh the main character uh zoe kravitz um finds upon this, uh, excellent record collection. And one of her most sought over is the, uh, man that sold the world, man who sold the world album cover with this, uh, David Bowie draped across the blue couch with the, uh, misspelling of Tony Visconti's name. So apparently for a while, that album cover on vinyl was very hard to come by. Um, but overall, uh, The album was definitely considered kind of the first album of Bowie's classic era and, you know, definitely considered one of the more important and best albums in the history of rock music by some who uh, had the audacity to go ahead and say that uh, this is a turning point in his career as they look back on Bowie's career. A couple of things. One the original album artwork
1: is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just it is. It's, just, it's preposterous. From that font to the actual imagery. Uh I'm glad that they re-released it. <laughs> I honestly think that this album might not be as fondly remembered if it always had that original artwork. Oh God. Know.
2: God, no. <laughs> that that uh that artist, I, I I did not even check, but um on my Durham anthology that I have, uh images 1967 to 69. It's 12 panels of that artist doing like doing like, you know, comics with an X style illustrations from, uh, from that era. Um Anyways. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. The, 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 the actual album artwork of Bowie draped on the couch is wonderful. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah. I'll look, I'll look him up in a second. We should at least for the love of God know his name. It's probably right here. His name is. Michael J. Weller. There you go. I'm sure he was a friend of Bowie. I'm sure he has, there's reasons for him being involved besides that. Um, and also Mark, to your point, uh, you mentioned the glam. No, I don't hear. What I was saying is I don't hear the glam thing. There, there, there's no glam on this album to me. That was my point. Right. Okay. All yeah. right.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. There's one song in here that I feel that Bowie's tipping his little toe in that. Um, but uh, I don't feel that this is like a Ziggy demo where he's really trying to lean in on that glam rock era. Um I'm just saying though in terms of how he's presenting himself on the alternate on the real cover that we all see today but at the time it was the alternative mm. cover um you can see Bowie kind of leaning into the androgyny a little bit at that time. So, and also one thing I forgot to mention this album was not in t- uh going to be originally called um the man who sold the world. It was going to be called Metro It was uh, a play on Fritz Lang's metropolis. I'm sure <coughs> that it's probably metropolis or something like that. So it's interesting. I'm glad that they went with the man who sold the world. Yeah. There
1: was a couple of names got, uh, and also man who sold the world. Uh, I think savior machine was also called man. Who sold the world and Man who Sold the world is also ca- almost called savior machine. I read that uh, there. That name bounced around the album a little in di- different places.
0: Yeah, but that's all I got. So I think, uh, is it time to go track by track? Oh Yes, Let's I do think it. I think it's that time. I'm going to go refill my coffee cup. I'll be right back. While Steve does that, we'll go ahead and listen to a few bars of the width of a circle. So that was Width of a Circle. We've talked a little bit about this song uh, when we've dabbled into uh, the Ziggy Stardust motion picture live B-side. Um, but now that we're listening to the studio version, really love how this album starts with Mick Ronson's guitar riff and then it just kind of kicks in. Um, this song is eight minutes of... Uh, it's an epic song. It's a great way to start this uh, this album uh, by just giving you basically everything in the kitchen sink. Um, the guitar riff that punctuates throughout the song is incredibly catchy. Um, like I said, Mick Ronson's lead guitar work and occasional choral effects from the band. Um, you can tell that this song is divided into two different parts. And later in the second half, It kind of takes on a little heavy r&b quality um and apparently and i'm sure eric has got a lot of interpretations about this but the narrator of the song he apparently has sex with the god with god the devil or some other supernatural beings um and i have to say tony viscani's bass playing uh, especially in the fourth verse uh, is fantastic and one of my favorite parts of the song is the, the call and response that turn around go back
1: yeah uh, the oh, song yeah.
0: basically has it all uh, it, it is essentially Lord of the Rings for me Uh it, <laughs> it, it it takes you on a journey
2: there and back again agreed Mark it's fantastic this um you know I people have talked about the song before even like I think Steve's even mentioned it and I was like Width of a circle. Sure, whatever. I I don't even know that song. Um and uh yeah, I have been blown away by this song, listening to this album. It's uh it's very heavy. Um I wouldn't say it's like ear piercing loud, but it's heavy, it's crunchy. Um that bass line's doing some great stuff, that riff is killer, and then it just like then it slows it down. Slows it down. And the Mm -hmm. the slowdown is perfect. The way the song's broken up, like it starts as like, I'm walking, you know, not, not laughing. No, walking, but I'm walking through my town. Um, and I see the monster and the monster is me. And, um, a lot of, uh, well, a few Nietzsche references and, um, the, uh, the, Nietzsche had a, uh, beyond good and evil was his work where a man becomes the devil. And, um, uh, and when he says, uh, and so like in this, you have that kind of exchange happening. Um, they say so long, they wave bye-bye and I smashed my soul and traded my mind. So this kind of interaction with the devil, like, you know, or a very negative influence in real life changes person. And then once the funky, the, the R the funk breakdown happens later, oh, then it gets sexy, baby, because now you have a more metaphorical meeting with the devil where the devil's penis meets David Bowie. And it is a sexy, sexy uh, verse where the devil fucks the narrator. Um, this song's great. I'm, I'm crazy about this song. This song, this song swept me up and took me. I'm right there with you, Mark. There and back again, Steve.
1: Yeah, this this is this song's great. I've always liked this song. The name is the, the name sticks in your mind. It's a good name for a song. And yeah, the, the diverse became familiar with it, obviously, because like I said, in the last episode or the one before last, it's on that live album. And they uh, they played it because it's a great song, but they also extended it. And the reason they extended it was so David Bowie could do a, a costume change in the middle. Um, so that's why the version and the live show is so long. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, just it, it's it really announces that this album is not going to be Space Oddity Part Two. There's, there's a couple, you know, uh, acoustic flourishes, but right off the bat, this is a, a whole new ball game. Um, yeah, I mean, I might say that lyrically you might have some of the same, uh, I, I don't know, maybe like signet c- committee might, might go in some directions and some like the storytelling aspect of the signet committee might have some, uh, w- the, the, the weight of the themes might be about as close as the two albums get to each other, but that's about it. Um, yeah, Tony Visconti's bass playing is way in front on the mix that I listen to. I listen to the uh, 2018 remaster, I think. Yeah, that I, 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 as, as did I, yeah. Yeah. And, 2015, uh, it, I think. Okay. It, whatever it is, whenever it was remastered, they brought up Visconti's bass to the front, and that's fine with me. I think this album's a bass player's album. I think uh, all his bass work is very much, holds a lot of the album together, as a good bass player should. But um, it's really crisp, crisp and clear. And uh, on this this track is just they're they're locked in like that from the start. Um, I uh, I'm not sure if he maybe, <laughs> I mean even if it was I, I don't know how the original I can't remember how the original mix is. Maybe the bass was way up in front then. Maybe he did it because he was annoyed that David Bowie was preoccupied, so he's like "fuck you," I'm moving myself to the front. I don't know. <laughs> but,
2: uh, <laughs> it could also just be our technology, like you know. They, the way speakers are now, bass just is yeah.
1: more
2: audible than it used to be.
1: Yeah. So, um.
2: But it's it's flashy as hell. Yeah, yeah. It's it's flashy. So I imagine there's a great story about how how Tony uh, approached his bass playing on this album. But
1: yeah, I think uh, McRonson. We'll we we'll know, know. From the start, Mick Ronson's already shown he has a he, he belongs in this band. He's not very showy, but he does. Uh, he definitely there's some flourishes where you can see that he's going to be the guy that is you new know, in four minute guitar solos in Age daydream a few years later. Uh, the guitar solo on this track, there's one particularly at the about the three minute, three minute mark. It's a uh, pretty great. And uh, I think the, the, the riff that, you know, it has a down, 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 oh, down, 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 That's fun. But I really dig when it goes in the, the, the faster parts that have more air of a urgency oh, to them. Fuck yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, Woody Woodman Z is doing some awesome drum work on this, this, uh, song. And there's some drum fills during the, uh, the, during that midsection right before it picks up again that are, that are great. And one thing you guys didn't touch on is the, uh, in the back half of the song where it right before it, it goes into that turnaround, go back those, 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 those vocalizations of the, oh. you know, that, that section. Uh, Oh yeah. Really, really epic sounding. That's a, a level of epicness that David Billy hadn't even dared get to yet. And, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting that I thought this album came out in 71 up until tonight. You know, you're right. That was like the American release. It was 70. And this, this definitely could have been, if you, if you put a little bit more feedback on this track, this could have been a black Sabbath song, I think. Uh, uh, Black Sabbath definitely got they got groovy and R and B e when they wanted to, and the the lyrical themes and the structure of the song I could definitely see Black Sabbath writing this same exact song, um, and I dig it. I, I like that this this album kind of is the only Bowie album that sounds like this to me, and um, yeah, and I, I I feel that off the bat with this record, this record to me overall a lot of the songs seem like I'm being told stories in a cave. Like I feel that I feel that I've met Bruce Campbell at the end of evil dead to the beginning of army of darkness. And that's <laughs> like, even the production quality to it at all and the lyrical content, it all sounds to me like an old wizard in a cave. And I feel that David Bowie's vocal techniques even kind of sound like a, I can't explain it any other way that, in addition to the words he's saying, I feel like he sounds like a warlock on this record and it starts with this song and it will continue. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Which is another reason why it's a
1: totally a proto metal. Totally. Proto metal sure. also thinks it's great record for when you're locked in your house and you're not supposed to go outside. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yes. I think this album oh, one one for a weird time right now. One thing I didn't go ahead.
2: One thing I didn't mention about this song was I, I mentioned it before. Whenever Bowie gets a little acoustic guitar time, he is really, he's got a great style and he can make that, he's playing his 12 string on this song and you can hear it right. You can mostly hear it right off the bat in the song in the beginning when it gets going, but then as the song goes on, it's kind of hidden in the background, but he, he just chunks at that thing. He, there's a kind of the jazz style of playing guitar is where it's not so much showy where you're just kind of becoming part of the rhythm, the way you're strumming. And that is what he's doing on this song. The way he uses that, that acoustic guitar. Um, And you can, if you listen for it, you can hear it kind of weaving in and out of the song, but I love that, that little bit.
1: Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this is a concept album, but I definitely think there's lyrical themes that reappear. And some of the, you know, staring into yourself. Yeah. In the, into the, 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 the abyss that is you, that you get on this song. definitely comes back with the main soul of the world. Um, yeah it's a, it's a great it's a great song yeah. it sets it sets the tone well i think
2: yeah and then it, it and then we follow it into all the madmen so i tell them that i can fly i will scream i will break my heart. Here I stand, foot in hand, talking to my wall I'm not quite right at all, am I? Don't set me free, I'm as heavy as can be Just my Librium and me, and my EST
1: Anyways, all, all, all the Madmen. This is a a song that I, I think I've listened to uh, 500 times in my lifetime. I'm not exaggerating. I've always loved this track, and I will go I will go days where if it shuffles on, I'll hit repeat when I listen to it for this uh, this, this, this this podcast. I listen to this album numerous times as I typically will, but maybe three days. There were three days during this assignment of uh, Man Who sold the world where I listen to all the madmen all day long I am not exaggerating I can listen to this song on repeat anytime I was driving I was driving around in Madeira California and through some wine vineyards and uh, all the madmen came on and I just said up oh, repeat and about eight hours later when I got home I was still listening to it It's a fantastic song that's my opinion of the song I'll get into the meat and bones of the song. But I want to hear what you guys have to say about it a little bit first. Uh, all the Madmen, Eric, what do you think about this track?
2: Well, um, this in a way feels like the most space oddity um, song. It tells a story. It's got like what I thought was flutes, but it clearly is like a recorder. Um, definitely has like some f- like fantasy rock going on. Fantasy folk. <laughs> going on in the song
1: it is definitely it is definitely a recorder yes that's uh, a Tony v yeah. on the recorder
2: and then it and then it kind of becomes this very uh you know psychedelic uh heavy heavy rock track um i really like you know what it's about it's a um you know it's a song often he his brother who was very mentally ill um inspired a lot of writing from Bowie and this song, he's looking at, you know, the, these people that are in an institution for being mentally ill, (laughs) they have a chance to leave. They don't want to leave because, because there is a freedom to being here in, in the asylum. They can be themselves. They can, there is no pressures from society to conform. They can be, they can be unbridled. And they know leaving means they have to conform to the, the pressures and um, they'd rather not. And that's kind of the general theme of it. And, and, you know, whether or not it's good for you in the long run, there is, you know, for a person that's mentally ill, that's, there is this feeling of freedom when you can just be you and it's okay to be unstable. It's okay to, you know, it's okay to have these delusions uh, to be frantic this these kind of things and you can do that in the asylum you can't do it out so I don't know I, I like the themes a lot I think it's uh, it's a very thoughtful song um, you know they tell me I can blow to the far side of town where it's pointless to be high because it's such a long way down Um, and then he, he references stuff like taking Librium and EST that's like shock therapy um which was prevalent in the 70s through the 80s you know people would still get shock therapy for depression it's crazy um so anyways it's just i i find it fascinating lyrically it's there's it's a it's a smorgasbord for me um yeah and the song's got a great drive to it and and it it goes a lot of different places it's not just a story song There, the music does its thing too um yeah, I, I, I like this one quite
0: a bit. This song uh, definitely has a little bit of uh, one foot into what it was with Space Oddity, kind of that folk fantasy rock, and then one foot into where he's going um, with the just an all-out rocker. And you do get a little bit of that psychedelica um. In terms of how it sounds, I mean, this one, uh, I love how it's arranged. I love the drums, kind of how they ramp up. Um, And one of the little parts that always kind of makes me smile is Bowie uses that Verispeed vocal effect that he used on the Laughing Gnome. But this one reminds me of the Bioshock Little Sisters. With whispering, he followed me home, mama, can I keep him? Uh, yeah. That it's, is like straight out of Bioshock for me. That part was uh, it's coming through. It's just like, I'm coming through. I don't even know what he's
1: saying. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's in yeah. the bridge of the song. Uh, but I, I, uh, this song is obviously, um, we've talked about it before on the Black Tie White Noise episode of Jump, they say. Uh, that song was also about uh, his half brother Terry Burns, uh, as is this song about someone that's dealing with life in a uh, mental asylum. And uh, musically, uh, it it how it starts to ramp up almost kind of how Nick Cave ramps up his Mercy Seat with kind of that, uh, acoustic guitar and then got all of the instrumentation coming in. Um, definitely got a little bit of that. And there's a lot of great panning through the headphones with that Moog synth line. Um, it's fantastic. And then at the end, it ends with that chant Zane, Zane, Zane. Oh, la chain, which apparently is French for open the dog. Um, Okay. Yeah. No ah. idea what that means, but apparently it's a gibberish statement. Um, but yeah, it's a great well, track. Well, I, 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 what was I the line
2: again? Zane, Zane, Zane.
0: Ovra oh, okay. a Yeah. And then, and then,
2: okay.
1: I got you. Open the dog. Yeah, that didn't And it has that great that ah, ha, ha. it has that a uh, that great vocalization there. Yeah. No, it's a. Uh, I don't think I don't think this track is much of the folk side of Bowie. There's a touch of it. I think, it, I think it's a lot heavier than that. Um, I definitely think it has more of the, the wizened warlock delivery to it. The uh, here I stand shoe in hand facing the wall, whatever that exact lyric is that that way he starts to sing that on the second time around really sounds intense and like he's conjuring something, you know, and, uh, I don't know the 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 song's great from the start, but the second time it goes through and they add the moog, it takes it to the next level. That moog is something special. Um, uh, that the way the way that uh, the moog comes in with the second chorus, and not only does the moog sound great, they pan it from one speaker to the next in a very Floydian style, and uh, I, I don't think it can be beat. Um. I'm a big fan. Whenever Moogs are used, I, I own the Moog Cookbook album, and I love the Moog. How do you guys feel about the Moog in general?
2: Oh, it's great! It's uh, it's it's like it was the entry point for like nerd synth, like electronic music. I I love it, and 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 it pops up in even modern music, and it's always very distinctive. I love hearing it in this stuff.
0: Yeah, no, I'm yeah, saying it's uh it's the prototype, it's the Atari uh version of what we see now on the PlayStation 4. It's always great, exactly. you know, right? It's it's kind of that analog but digital sound. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh you know the, the, the so the Moog takes it to the next level so you have you have you have the song starts and and then it gets through actually about one verse before Mick Ronson's guitar kicks in with the down, down, like a lightning bolt. And then you got the, the fucking recorders come in and somehow the recorders don't derail the track, which is amazing to me. And then you get the Moog and the Moog does a good job there. And then they kick it up another time, another, another step where the, you know, the here, ride, And then, then, you've got the, uh, the, symbol rides really crashing and just Woody Woodman Z towards the, the 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 second half of the song really gets going and they just pick everybody picks up the pace and everyone's starting to rock together dun, da, 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 dun, da, da, da. but then they slow it all down again for another you know run through of the chorus before they get into the gibberish singing part that Mark was talking about I feel like the rising action on this song all the way up to the very end and then you start getting hand claps I just think they just layer things on top of each other. I can't, I can't say enough good things about it. That's why I can listen to it on repeat so much. It starts in one place. They layer, 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 layer. By the time you've got the gibberish uh, lyrics at the end with the hand claps and it ends, you're ready to go back to the beginning. So that's
0: why I I love this song. It's uh,
1: absolutely awesome.
0: Yeah. That outro is amazing. So good.
1: And uh, one thing we also didn't mention is uh, I love on that first, I'm not quite right at all. And you hear a little, am I spoken word in there? You guys know, you hear that part? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a fun little, little trick. Um, Song has just so much going on in it. I just, I can't say enough good things about it. I wish there were some more live versions of it. I don't, I, I think there might be one or two, not a lot all right well uh so Next far track. Before, well actually before we move on and have fun editing this one mark i did want to mention a width of a circle i meant to mention this the structure of width of a circle i think it parallels really well with the black star the title track of black star yes yeah i could see that
2: it absolutely does it, it, even some of the story go t- into a, like a funky little breakdown towards the end yeah,
1: yeah. Some, even some of the storytelling there is kind of similar um but just uh the length and yeah, the, the, the breakdown. I um, want to make sure I made, I made that point, even if it was one song too late. <laughs> so as you were saying, yeah. let's, uh <laughs> let's go take a black country walk. I
2: a pack up and rest up here. Yeah, black country rock. You never know you might find it here yeah. On uh, Black Country Rock Pack a pack up and we we'll stop here yeah. On uh, Black Country Rock You never know you might find it here yeah. Black Country Rock Some say the view is crazy but you may
0: that was black country rock. Uh, for me, this is kind of where Bowie is dipping his toe into the glam rock pool. Um, I feel that this is a very T-Rexy type song. Um, you've got David Bowie, uh, um, essentially repeating black country rock every other verse. Um, you got Bowie also doing this funny thing that I call the dolphin thing. Like at the end, like, ah, <laughs>
1: yeah. So it's yeah. a bit much.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not a bad song because it's got a little cool little groove to it. Um, it's it's not one of his classic songs, but it for me, it's not any by by any means like a, a terrible song. Um, it's just kind of there for me. And it, it it's of the time. Uh, what do you guys think?
1: Well, I think, yeah, it definitely is. of the well, I, I think I, it oh. is of the time and I think they had to put this and she shook me cold on here. To break up the heavy psychedelic residue of all the other tracks, it's a pretty heavy album, in a lot of respects. Be it uh, fantasy elements, or be it uh, you know the human psyche, uh, you know having a little bit of a, a boogie track here like this, not a terrible idea. I, I think if you're to sequence this album, it's put here to give everybody a breather before you get into some more heady stuff. Um, it definitely sounds. I mean, you said T Rex. I think it sounds like one of your favorite genres, Mark. It sounds to me like a leftover, like a Leonard Skynyrd song or something.
0: It does you know? actually sound like a Southern, it does sound like a Southern rock song. It absolutely yeah. does.
1: That guitar, yeah. that, wow! Nah, 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 like you can't, and the Visconti's bass is something to behold, actually. The dude, the dude, the dude, is the, is,
2: it's what it keeps bringing me back yeah. to the song. Every time I'm about to write it off, He's playing, a, it's a fuzz bass too. He's got a little fuzz, fuzz pedal on it. And it is just, it is just shredding. He's shredding all over this fucking yeah, song. It, it, he's, and you know what? You will never hear a bass shredding on a Leonard Skinner song. Fuck that band. <laughs> but, uh, but this is, yeah. Visconti's uh, actually,
1: I hate to tell Eric, Leonard Skinner does have some good songs, but he'll never admit it. They do um, have some good songs. <laughs> yeah. Simple man. see seething. This is, this, this is, oh man, this is totally the, uh, Eric, early 70s disenfranchised episode. This is (laughs) fucking stupid. (laughs)
2: Leonard Skinner. In in their song, Sweet Home Alabama, they say that their governor, who was pro-segregation, was okay. He was cool. They say that in the lyrics. They're they're a garbage band, and you're on the wrong side of history. Give Me Back My
0: Bullets is a great song. (laughs) (laughs) And that smell. I mean, I'm not a fan of Sweet Home Alabama. That song is Like overplayed, but uh, they they do have some jams that are are solid. That's
2: your pro segregation band that you're (laughs) that you're enjoying right there. By the way, just let me know. They listen. You know that's their own lyrics.
1: There's a uh, I I like more bands than I care to admit that probably have. If I really want to dig into their lyrics, problematic aspects. uh, Leonard Skinner. I'm not gonna die in a hill for Leonard Skinner, but I'm also
0: not gonna say they don't have any good songs. Exactly. Anyways. I'll, I am a I'll, fan of Ted Nugent's stranglehold and that guy has got a garbage brain. So like <laughs> Yeah, I can I'm separate the damn, art from the I'm artist.
1: A, I'm a fan of damn Yankees. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen, if you can, you know, you can say whatever you want about anybody, if you can deflect bullets with your guitar, I'm going to listen. Um but yeah, the, uh, this song, it's a fun enough song. I do want to point out though. I actually uh, before lyric before Eric dies into these really deep lyrics um uh, did, correct me if I'm wrong does David Billy rhyme the word view
0: with the word view oh uh, he might uh,
1: he doesn't even he doesn't even no he rhymes view with "a okay do. all right because I thought I thought he I thought he rhymed I thought he said uh, here's what I thought he said uh some say the view is crazy No, he does. Some say the view is crazy, but you may adopt another point of view. Oh,
2: (laughs) well, he uses it, but yeah, the whole lyric and I and I wrote this down was some say the view is crazy, but you may adopt another point of view. Okay, so redundant. So if it's much too hazy, you can leave my friend and me with a fond adieu. So technically he's rhyming view with adieu. Um, it would be really, you know, what if you run view with a skew? We the just, lyrics you
1: know. are the whole thing is you, it's, you it's, a it's, pack up, pack up, pack a horse up and rest up here on black country rock. You never know. You might find it here on black country rock. And then the lyric you just said, Eric. It's so this is stupid. definitely one of the ones yeah. where. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's stupid. Yeah. It, he just came in. He came in the room and was like, fuck, we need some lyrics. OK. All right, guys, I got this. <laughs> this is just bad.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess if the song's about anything, it's like, if you're not on my level, man, get the fuck out. Like, that's basically what the song's about. I think I'm giving it more credit than it deserves. But damn, that Visconti bass line. Uh, Better than Leonard Skinner.
1: Wait. (laughs)
0: Look, yeah, no, you're it's I'm not a Leonard Skinner apologist, but in my recent years of uh, appreciating Almond Brothers and um just kind of that southern rock style. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with. I mean, not their politics by any means, but the song style for crying out loud. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I didn't
2: say that to open up this fucking conversation. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you
1: what. I'll tell you <laughs> what. Uh, you know, Ericsson to give us all the shit in the world, but Metallica does a great version of Tuesday's Gone. Yep. And the the guy playing bass on it is Les Claypool. So you want to go yell, yell at Les Claypool, Eric? Be our guest.
0: <laughs> I think that song even has John Popper from Blues Traveler on there, so it's got it all. <laughs> <laughs> well now Eric's really sold. <laughs> 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 all right.
2: Oh boy. Let's
1: uh that right man vomited, he he
0: vomited into his harmonica and ate it and kept playing. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and go into track four, which is After All. Them
2: gently, They don't like to fall.
0: Oh, by jingo. There's no room for anger. We're
1: all very small. Oh, my. Faces and dressing in thoughts from the skies From paradise
0: But they think that we're holding A secretive ball Won't someone invite them? They're just all the children
1: That's all
0: After all An
2: obstacle
0: sad as the cloud. Oh, by Jingo. So hold
1: on to nothing, and he won't let you down. Oh by Jingo. Some people are much together. Eric, what do you think about this song?
2: Ah, oh, after all, after all was kind of a sneaker for me. Um, uh, it is kind of you. Know, I listened to the album once and kind of forgot about this. And every time I listened to the album after it, this song kept popping up, and I was like, "I there is something about this I really enjoy." Um, there, the the backing vocals kind of make it. It, it kind of gives it this ghost, this ghostly like choir that's singing behind him uh saying oh by jingo i don't know what that means doesn't matter um uh a lot of bowie's cool 12 string acoustic guitar work um you know uh ronson and viscani are more doing background stuff here but uh this song is kind of undeniable it's it's not a standout track but there is atmosphere to this song. It's 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 kind of this weird area of like haunting music that Bowie will do a little bit later, really well. Um, and uh, basically he's talking. He's trying to uh, he he prefaces the song like he's got some kind of answers to life, right? Um, but as he's talking, you know, he's. There's a secretive ball. Won't somebody invite them in? They're just taller children. Just as monkeys, monkeys are comical to us, like a clown, in their inferiority, just like man looking down at, a, or God's looking down at man. I guess. Um, in the end, he doesn't have an answer. Um, and uh, forget what I've said. All I've said. Please bear me no ill will. So he. It's kind of a funny way to round out the song, where, you know, he doesn't have any closure. Whatsoever. Um, as far as like totally getting me invested through that haunting, that haunting melody. I, I, this is a weird song and I like it a lot. It's definitely in the upper echelon of this album for me.
1: Weird, interesting. So. I don't like it as much as you, but I definitely, it was a sneaker for me. Uh, I think that it was one that I kind of didn't pay attention to until later. And it is a good, it's it, it, it is a good weird haunting song. Like you said, Um again, uh, the moog makes a good appearance on this one. Uh, that that uh, the the after all that 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 frail delivery he has there one one time through. There's a moog behind it. that I think ties together well. The moog, the moog is a secret secret weapon on this record. Um, this song sounds to me like it'd be one that would really sound good if Radiohead covered it. And by saying that, I feel like that tells you everything you need to know about this song. Just the the haunting. The haunting level of it, there's some space left in it for for it to breathe. It's kind of ethereal. It's a weird, strange little song. It's
0: uh, it's good. So, yes, the Oh, by Jingo call and response song. Uh, Strangely enough, this song's style reminds me of some of the work that he would essentially um, reutilize on heathen. I don't know if you guys got a little bit of that but I I've yes. I, yeah.
2: That's what I was. That's what I was saying is yeah. he going back into the taunting yeah. mode later. Um, that's that's exactly what You got the slow,
0: creepy circus waltz at the end of the song. Um, and also I, I feel that if you were to throw his first three records into a meat grinder, um, I feel that this song is what would be coming out in terms of what that sausage would taste like. If that makes any sense to you guys.
1: You um, even talk about his, you talking about the, the London, al- London
0: boys album too, yep. like
1: the first yep. album.
0: Cause mm. you get a little bit of, there is a happy land, kind of a children perspective that he was yeah, throwing around his, in that some first of that count- record. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Some of that counting the, the uh, counting the buttons on your coat bullshit. Yep. Yeah. And okay. then the
0: second one, you've got a little bit more fleshed out stronger songwriting and then you've got, better arrangement that Mick Ronson was throwing into the mix. Um, And the, uh, for whatever reason, the, the kind of guitar, um, it really kind of has this Italian type style to it. um, Where it reminds me of like lady in the tramp being serenaded by those two Italian guys in the alleyway. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's just the guitar work. Like it's a- it's just that uh, <laughs> uh
0: Is it really? That's
2: that's all Bowie, yeah. by the way. Yeah, that's uh, all. It Bowie's it definitely to- sounds yeah, like
0: yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, Mediterranean Italian flair um that you would also hear maybe on Rod Stewart's Maggie Mae. Um I don't know if it is actually guitar is it guitar that he's playing? Because it sounds like it's like one of those not the ukulele, but you know, one of those kind of like yeah, mandolin. mandolin. That's 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 what I'm thinking. But it's it's probably not, but it just eh. that's what I that's what I'm going to. It,
2: it it could be that 12 string again. That twelve string is uh good. Track.
0: Um it's uh it it definitely is one of the highlights on the record of just kind of the song style that you know he's uh grinding up here. So I like it.
2: I love that it's the end of track of side one, too. It's it's in that way it, it's it shows you that that sequencing was important to them. So this definitely feels like a nice pause song before you flip the, 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 the disc over.
0: Well, let's flip it. Yes.
1: And and before we flip it, um, I do want to say that I'm really <laughs> tonight. Steve is going to talk about a song, two songs after again. I wanted to mention that I forgot to mention that for all the madmen they played that on the uh the glass spider tour did either of you listen to that version of it no all right i want you to imagine no. a song as 1970 as all the madmen through the glass spider prism <laughs> and it sounds exactly like oh that. boy it's uh, yeah it's all they speed it up a notch and they i think they add some like marimbas or some shit it's uh something <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh. all right sorry Oh boy! <laughs> did yeah. Sebastian show up? Bad. <laughs> oh,
0: let's flip the flip flip the flip the record. All right, let's flip it to
2: Running Gun Blues. I count the corpses. So I better get away, better make it today I've cut 23 down since Friday But I, I, I can't control it My face is drawn, my instinct still emotes it
1: I slash from gold So that's "Running Gun Blues," and this song, uh, I think it's a, a lyrics first song. And Eric, tell us all about the lyrics of "Running Gun Blues."
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, the lyrics here are very like, uh, even though we're still kind of knee deep in the Vietnam War, it's looking ahead as to what the. I don't know if I don't even know if this was a word back then, but like PTSD, I don't know if that was a thing. I don't think it was acknowledged back then but Bowie could kind of tell how people would be affected by it. It's a little exploitative. It's kind of like the original uh, Rambo, you know, turned up to, what what was the original Rambo called? First blood? Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's like that turned up to 12. Um, I count the corpses on my left. I find I'm not so tidy. So I better get away, better make it today. I've cut 23 down since Friday, but I can't control it. You know, the peace will stop the war, left generals squashed and stifled, but I'll slip out again tonight, cause they haven't taken back my rifle. Uh, for I promote oblivion and I'll plug a few civilians. It's pretty dark, it's pretty callous. Um, and it is like looking like forward to how PTSD on soldiers can result in mass killings. And while I while it's exploitative to think that it's the it is the that, that is the rule, obviously it's the exception to the rule. I did always think it was crazy when uh the few times I've lived near a big military base, the amount of domestic violence that would make the news were always like ex you know, soldiers from those bases that just moved two neighborhoods away from the base and did these horrible acts. Um You know, clearly PTSD was a thing and only in the last five years, eight years, has it even been really addressed by the by the military. So I think the lyrics are important, though, a bit exploitative, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. I think this is definitely uh, they're talking about PTSD and it's a I I, I don't know if it's a protest song. I guess it, it it it's so blatantly from the perspective of a guy that's war crazed and how, you know, ruthless he is in a not so pretty way. Uh, not so pretty now, if you will. Um, yeah, it, it, I find it interesting that I, um, a Londoner is writing about, obviously one of the wars that the U S was involved in. And, um, you know, based upon the slur he chooses to use, you can take your pick, uh, probably Vietnam, but, uh, Yeah, it's, but, but, you know, all the heady lyrics aside, I, I do find it interesting. The, the kind of like, he, he juxtaposes the lyrics with the, the delivery of the verses is kind of almost like sing songy back to that fairy tale style he used on his first record. The, you know, not so tidy. It's kind of weird. I hate his, I
2: hate his delivery. It's kind of,
1: yeah, it's, but it's. Uh, it's very, the juxtapose there has to be on purpose. Um, and I think, again, he's doing that to show that the, the, the narrator in this track is definitely not coming from a good place that is si- singing sure, sure. about such, you know, violent acts with a fairy tale voice. And then in the, in the chorus he kind of goes into this, like the, the more serious uh, attempt at describing the, the carnage there. It's a, it's a, pretty uh visceral and uh graphic song uh, some of his most graphic lyrics wow. i'd say
2: it's it's the punisher
1: it's yeah it really
2: is but
1: but you know what else is punishing is the awesome guitar riff on it the down to that that mick ronson's guitar riff on it's pretty badass yeah. so it is i
2: think
1: i think, it's, I think yeah. it's a good song it's just really uh the 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 content of it is it's a
0: lot to swallow if you look into it I think that vocal delivery that uh, you guys were uh, kind of speaking about gives me an image of a rock opera. It's My Massacre. The musical um, is what I kind of come along because he's doing it with such gusto um, as he's singing these lyrics that are pretty awful uh, from a first person's perspective. Um, obviously, a maniacal soldier, just a murderous frenzy. And um that's, I just see him doing like little high stepping, um, as he's doing this stage production, uh, that's just horrific and doing it with
2: like the Joker, just yeah, yeah stepping over bodies Yes, as, as things, exactly.
0: Yeah. That's exactly the image that comes to mind when you, uh, dig into the lyrical content and how it's represented musically. Uh, it does kind of lend itself to a very theatrical production. Uh, Also, this song, even though you're not a fan of that vocal delivery, um, for me, this delivery style telegraphs um, what we get on Ziggy. Uh, It's kind of that over-the-top, larger-than-life type Bowie delivery that you could tell that he's in a character here, and he will utilize that character driven vocal delivery later on that uh, on his very first concept record.
2: I think this conversation has me backing up on my harsh stance of I hate his delivery on this song. I think it serves a purpose. I think the rest of this album is not in character. So this particular song stands out as a very cartoony vocal performance. And um, I think now that we talk about it, I think I see its purpose and I did not see it before. So
1: Well, the only way that could have irritated you more, Eric, is that uh, one of the demos for this song, it was called Cyclops. And when they were working on it and in place of the Now I've Got the Running Gum Blues, he sang Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. So it could have been worse.
2: (laughs) Much worse. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy.
1: But yeah, not this, you know, the song isn't a classic, but it's not bad. It's kind of uh, it, it's it, it definitely it tried. I think it tried to bite off more than it could chew.
0: All right. So with that, I think we should go to the next track, which is Save Your Machine, which uh, it sounds like it begins with a jam session already in progress. So let's go ahead and jump into that. <laughs>
2: their so he told them his scheme for a savior machine they called it the prayer its answer was law its logic stopped war give them food how they adored till it cried in its
1: boredom This jam already in progress, play, play, see, and I like the way that that song you just heard a clip from "Save Your Machine" does start. I like that effect of a like you're coming into a. They're already cranking. They're already they're they're heated up and they're tearing into it. I think it's a that's pretty cool. That da 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 You don't get a lot of that, fade, ins. fade in. Yeah, it's great. I think you should have more fade ins. I because a fade in takes planning uh it, you need to already you know uh, it, it, you, you need to you need to know exactly in where in the song should you be fading in at and if you botch a fade in well then it gets all messed up you oh. know you don't want to you don't want to hear no doubt tuning their horns up at the wrong time so <laughs>
2: <laughs> at some at some point Viscani should release the tapes and give us the first 4 minutes of the song where they were just where it really starts and they were jamming before they fade in but
1: it's yes it, it's 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 the entire, it's the entire nursery rhyme of Humpty Dumpty sat in a wall in <laughs> the last song. That's, uh, you had, to, you had to cut that out. It was, it, it was by design, but it also was trying to get rid of some terrible accidents. <laughs> Probably. But Save Your Machine, the you man, come on. So All the Mad Men, I think is a top five Bowie song. And Save Your Machine might be a top six Bowie song. This song's fucking awesome. You can't, from the lyrics, the composition... To more Moog, to the riffage, the drumming, the vocal delivery. It's just got it all. This song's got it all. It's the uh, This album has a few highlights for me, and this is one of them. There's, uh. there's peaks on this album. There's peaks on this album. And those peaks are all the Mad Men, Save Your Machine, and the title track for me. And they all peak about just as much. I love them all very much.
0: Uh, this song... Is incredible, uh, Mark. I mean, I'm sure you agree with me. I mean, not only is it incredible, um, but it is also uh, probably the the story of um, our current life, um, and uh, probably the uh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> um, it's probably the crystal ball. The story of 2020. It talks of President Joe. Um, uh, it it yeah, talks about is. a hypothetical scenario where mankind finds a miracle cure. In this case, it would be the the savior machine. The savior machine is essentially what it is. It's an artificial intelligence that makes all of our decisions for us. And the reason I say that is because when I was reading news reports, uh, scientists as they are trying to crack the code of what we're currently uh, living right now. They ran some scenarios through a supercomputer made by IBM called The Summit. It's a million times faster than the laptops that we're recording on currently. And... Uh, This this machine is essentially trying to figure out ways that they can essentially come out with a vaccine or a cure for um, the coronavirus COVID-19. And so when you look at the lyrics to this, it essentially is basically Skynet uh, is the best thing on how to um, really save mankind is to essentially destroy mankind. (laughs) Um.
2: Yes. Yes, Adrian Veidt, all that, all that stuff. Yeah, don't, don't. Yeah, I said life is too easy. A plague seems quite feasible now, or maybe a war, or I may kill you all. Uh, Don't let me stay. Basically, yeah, it's this, this, it's this very progressive president who is trying to push this agenda of world peace. You know, relatable, understandable. Um, and so yeah, they get this artificial intelligence that can do that but then the artificial intelligence gets bored and or no or rather be becomes aware that humans are bored they're not meeting their potential so he's going to inject a little chaos in their lives to like you said destroy mankind to save mankind they uh they need a little uh shot of adrenaline uh it's great i it's it it plays like a doctor who episode it's uh, or a twilight zone episode it's 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 awesome. And uh, the music, I can't even think of a section that stands out to me, but it just, it feels like the most layered song on here, the most forward thinking song on here with all the moog work going on. Um, I love this song. It's, it's very curious. <laughs> I enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I'd say uh, lyrically, uh, again, this is another song where there's a warlock telling us a story um, in a cave with his orb. It reminds me also the whole story of the savior machine reminds me again. I've mentioned this. I, I, I connected this book to another song on another album of which I can't remember which one it was. But again, this reminds me of uh, the dark tower book three with the city of Lud and the yes. fucking supercomputer. Do uh, they have the, the riddles with that's <laughs> um, uh it, 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 it reminds me of uh, that damn train. And, uh, yeah, the 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 some of the vocal deliveries on it that remind me again of like a, a Dio or a, a metal band of that time. The the don't let me stay, don't let me stay. My logic says burn, so send me away. The way he's delivering that, the, I could picture Dio singing those exact same words with that yes. exact same cadence. You know that could definitely be. And then the uh, you know the please don't believe in me, please disagree with me. The way he draws those out sounds like another Dio. I could. You could take this song and you could somehow shift the planet. And instead of joining Rainbow, uh, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, David Bowie joined Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, which was a band that had ridiculous, like classical uh, medieval times guitar and Rick Wakeman keyboards. And by ridiculous, I mean great. And I could definitely imagine this like this version of Billy would be singing on that album instead of Dio. It'd be perfect. The lyrics would be perfect, too. Um. Anyhow, uh, I I think this track is awesome, man. I like that fade in is just, it fades into a, a rock. This rocks in progress. And uh, Woodman Z's drumming is uh, really, he really gives, he really pounds the skins on this one. Um, I, 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 I do not have enough uh, good things to say about it. I think it's just awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a rocking sci-fi metal song, and mm. it's been covered by Red Cross and the Melvins. And that makes sense because Red Cross and the Melvins tour together all the time, and they also Red Cross has shared band members with the Melvins, bass player, and they do a great live version of it, which I think is worth looking up. Uh, the story of President Joe through the prism of the Melvins is pretty cool.
2: Oh, that's awesome! I don't want to like force any red pills down anybody's throat right now or blow any minds, but is it save your machine or save
0: your machine? Just saying,
2: Mm. (laughs) think about it. That's another perspective. You didn't even think about also
0: on top of that. I don't know if either of you are familiar with the Christian metal band save your machine who apparently named themselves after this song.
1: Did they read the (laughs) lyrics? Yeah,
0: (laughs) they are from LA. They've been around since 1989 and apparently they have a following in germany but uh christian metal band save your machine when you're googling that make sure you put both into that or you might find yourself <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: god yeah i
1: think Rocky, i think this is definitely this is def- this is definitely one where you know that billy was invested in it i i think he really is getting into this track his, his delivery is just uh a strong part of the track is his, is his, is his delivery Oh yeah, I, this is I, the, I don't yeah. think he, this he didn't just,
2: are weaved into this song.
1: He, yeah. He didn't just stroll into the studio on this one. And again, it's also Eric back to lyric, uh, lyric ly- Jesus, I can't talk. Lyrical content from the last album of like your signet committees and your, you know, your songs about leadership gone awry. That's his bread and butter.
2: And I would say it's another side to the same lyrical coin of the closing song on this album.
1: Which is interesting you say that because on the German release of this track, they reprise the end of the the intro of this song and they crossfade it into the end of the Superman.
2: There you go. Beautiful.
1: It's all tied together.
2: Uh, What's not tied together is (laughs) uh, the narrator's pants in the next (laughs) torrid, torrid song of, lewd misconduct she shook me cold
1: all right you guys get out your robin trower hour albums here we go She Shook Me Cold. This, I think this is another attempt at trying to, um, you know, man, things are getting kind of tense and heavy in here with all this science fiction and warlock talk and guitar riffs that could be in, in your your next-door neighbor's basement shredding stuff. Let's just keep things a little groovy and take it down to basics at the, at the club with Blue's Hammer. That's what I get from She Shook Me Cold.
0: Well, it does start out with that Hendrix-like guitar wah-wah. I mean, I, I'm sure that was very intentional from Nick Ronson, um, but you're right. You just got, uh, you know, the beginnings of Electric Ladyland then going, and for whatever reason, this song doesn't really crack my, my top highlights for the uh, for the record. Um, I will give it the fact that it does have a really good guitar solo at the end and a pretty good jam session, Um but that's all that I really can take from this. Besides the fact that the working song title of it was suck. So everything Makes you need sense. to know about the lyrical content of this song.
1: Oh, uh, well, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess he did. He didn't want to get as on the nose as he did when he released Sweethead a few years later. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I'll give my love in vain to reach that peak again. We met upon a hill. Mother, she blew my brain. This is a this is a song about getting a BJ from your loved one. Uh Apparently Bowie sang it many, many weeks later after it was recorded. He was not part of the creative process on the song at all. This was, as you said, Mark, a fantastic jam session by Tony and Mick and the boys. And Bowie just kind of said, you know, reminded him of oral sex. And he made a song about that towards the end. I mean, if you want to thematically link it, maybe this comes out of a very brief, sweaty, sweaty minute in width of a circle. Maybe that's where it fits. But uh, there you go.
1: No, it's a yeah. And, and, you know, the music's not that bad. But could you imagine, you know, writing anything and then Giving to somebody like, all right, man, come up with some lyrics. And he comes back with this. It's just nonsense. It's just. uh, Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. I had no time to spare. I grabbed her golden hair and threw her to the ground. Father, she craved my head. Oh, Lord, the things she said. My God, she should be told. I was very smart, broke the gentle hearts of many young virgins. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is just bad.
2: Oh, oh.
1: Yeah. This is a. my least favorite song in the album. Uh, my well, favorite. you gotta yeah, take same.
2: it, take it low. You gotta take it low for what comes next. You know, you gotta, you gotta remind everybody that there is a bass line. <laughs> yeah. Before you show them the
1: ceiling. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. Well, that. Yeah. There's a. It's a. It's a. It's a bluesy track, and there ain't nothing wrong with the blues, as you guys know from listening to our Let's Dance album. But you gotta have a little bit more substance than this, and. I uh, actually you know the the, the blue genre there definitely are the my dinglings of the world,
0: but um this is just stupid all right yep yep Yep. Fair. exactly I mean um I've never received a blow job where I was freezing afterwards, but apparently Bowie has so <laughs> tip of the hat to him um or whomever well, I'm going to take that taking that out of context <laughs> <laughs> I've never received a blow job. <laughs> End period. Stop. <laughs> oh,
2: there's a great Patreon ad that's begging for that drop.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you've listened to our last episode uh, proper, uh, Eric definitely did some uh, clever backmasking. And when I told them, I was like, well, there's one thing that me and Sam Jackson have in common. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
1: open up that coin purse i've never received a (laughs) blowjob
0: all right here we go did you get it clean there eric because i'm sure that you'll be slicing and dicing all right here we go title track the man who sold the world
1: There you go. The Man Who Sold the World. A song so good, we just talked about Nirvana for 45 minutes in our last episode.
2: You want to know something funny? I didn't know uh, this story came out in my research. Um, uh, But what I did like was that... Uh Trent, or not Trent, god damn it, hit that out. Uh Kurt Cobain was driving around in a car with his with Chad Channing, his drummer from Bleach, and Chad was playing uh Man Who Sold the World, and Kurt was like, that's Bowie? Because Bowie, I guess, was not cool at that time for Grunge Rockers. And uh that was the first time that uh that Kurt had heard that song. So and he was shocked. That
1: Bowie could do something so good. Anyways, uh, it sounded, you know, you know, Kurt. The Kurt knew all about the Beatles because everybody knows about the Beatles except for Eric Anderson. But apparently, he needed to broaden his horizons there a little bit, and I'm glad he did.
0: I mean, this song is, is just a stone cold classic. I mean, I'm glad that Kurt uh, Cobain resurrected this song from the grave because I, I think that when uh, we talked about Nirvana and our B-side, I think Steve was right on the money that uh, Bowie himself probably just relegated it to the, uh, the vaults and he started to bring it back out into uh, his live tours because of the resurgence, uh, or I guess the spotlight that Kurt uh, essentially shown on how great the song is what I really like about. Yeah. Sorry.
2: Can I, can I, can I, sorry, can I comment on just that live tour? You got it really quick.
0: Um,
2: yeah, I, what was interesting is that, um, he did resurrect it for the, uh, earth earthling tour. but he, he changed it. He likes sang the song over like a very minimalistic techno beat. um, He totally changed it, which we'll talk about because it's on that uh, one of the new EPs that came out. But um, when I saw him at the Bridge Benefit concert, he played it with Reeves and Gail Ann Dorsey. They played it old school style. And it was like the one time during that era he played it the way it was recorded, um, which uh, was very special. Uh, Once again, going to brag about uh, one of the times I saw Bowie. Well, the it's two times nice.
0: that I saw Bowie, and I sure. think that the, the two times that Steve saw Bowie, he did play this um, basically straight up, no chaser. Um, so, yeah, nice. he, he absolutely played it the way that I maybe with a little bit less kind of Latin flair um, with the wood blocks, the maracas um, and some instrument called the giro. Um, but uh, that that iconic guitar riff, man. Uh, put that in the space capsule and let the aliens hear that one.
2: Oh, it's been sampled by the Living Legends hip hop group from California. Great, great, great little song they do there.
1: Oh yeah, no, definitely. If you can, uh, there's many covers of this, and we'll talk about more of them later. But since you did bring it up, that Living Legends, yeah, bring that uh, man. They one of my favorite rock samples in the hip hop song. But uh, back, you know, back to the. Let's just get it out of the way. The the, the Nirvana version, I think it's on parallel with the original. Believe it or not, not saying it's better, but I think it's just as good in a different way. I think that the Nirvana version, it's a, it comes to the song from the same place, but it's, 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 it's from a parallel universe, but it still gets to where it needs to be. And I think that the two versions are pretty similar to an extent. Until Kurt, in a genius move, because he knows he can't do it, he doesn't do the vocalization part at the end. He guitar solos it. And it's probably, like, one of my favorite Nirvana moments of all time is him doing the guitar solo where, in place of David Bowie's vocals for the the outro. I
0: mean, uh, not to cut you off there, but I think that um, when... Johnny Cash famously covered Trent Reznor in Nine Inch Nails' uh, version of "Hurt." You know, Trent basically said, "Well, that belongs to Johnny Cash now." Um, I will 100% say that this song now belongs to Nirvana. I mean, it's hard to say, uh, but if you Google "The Man Who Sold the World," the top hit will be their Nirvana version over the David Bowie version because of that is how good that cover version is. I
2: must have died alone. I'll lie.
1: And like we've said before, I think a lot of kids gotten into uh, David Bowie because of Nirvana, which is it's awesome. And uh, yeah, now their their version of that. I mean, we did a we did a top five Nirvana songs because of how good that version of that song is. You know, we tying it to our show. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I I love their version of this track. And again, we not to beat a dead horse here, but unplugged album and all is a, a perfect live album. Great live album. Go listen to it if you haven't. I know you have. It'd be ridiculous if you haven't listened to it before. But, uh, I mean, Eric, we'll, we'll get back to David Bowie's version in a minute. You uh, you love that, that Nirvana version, right? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and because I was in,
2: when I first saw Bowie, it was with Nine Inch Nails, but my first love, my first band was Nirvana, and that just, this song was by David Bowie. <laughs> like that. That like was my first clue that like, oh shit, I should be paying attention to David Bowie. Like that was my first real clue about that. So um, obviously the Nirvana version is amazing and it's probably why I was so open to enjoying David Bowie uh, by the time I finally, finally got to see him. Yeah.
1: Actually. Yeah. That. So let's get back to David Bowie now. That guitar riff, that guitar riff is something that's uh I guess that, that I mean, Miss Mick Ronson wrote that. And I don't think he gets enough credit for some of the you know, the most classic rock moment music rock music moments he's come up with that's definitely up there with one of them that, uh, that, that, I, that iconic Middle Eastern sounding guitar lick is just, just something. So you it's hear it instantly you're, you're invested as soon as you hear it.
2: Uh, the uh, the bridge benefit concert version is almost the same, except Reeves Gabriel is playing through a effect box. That makes it sound like a sitar. <laughs> of
1: course, of course it is.
2: <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. As far as being middle Eastern sounding, you're absolutely right. Well,
1: that's that, you know, this song is very, uh, it is very worldly. It is very, uh, uh, ethereal And, and it, it also, again, gets to, this album has like a feel of a science fiction novel or a fantasy novel. Again, this track just sounds like you could be roaming the desert in the gunslinger and you come and you meet the man who sold the world, or you meet yourself and you're speaking to yourself or the angel talking to the devil, whatever it is, the, the lyrical content matches the music so well in painting a picture of having an encounter in a desert or some such of that nature. It's, it's absolutely perfect. The
0: perfect song. It sure is. Steven, tell me about some of their cover versions of this song.
1: Well, there's the. Um, well, actually, before I do that, Mark. Eric. Talk about the lyrics more <laughs> because yeah. it's, this, this is definitely this one, a, a lyric wild song, I think it's. Uh, oh,
2: I I I copied and paste just the entire lyrics of the song for this one, because, yeah, it's it's a buffet. Um, we passed upon the stair. The stair. We spoke of when and where. Although I wasn't there, he said I was his friend. Um, there's a lot of ways to take this song, and I. But I think the most obvious is that it's, it's like new Bowie talking to young Bowie, like, like a Durham years Bowie, um, or even uh, what Bowie wanted to be talking to who he was now. Like either way, there's a future Bowie and a past Bowie. Having a conversation, um, I thought you died alone a long, like basically like this could be looked at as the crux, uh, between the folk Bowie uh, and the the glam Ziggy Ziggy Bowie, like the character Bowie. You know, I thought you died a long, long time ago. Um, oh no, not me! I never lost control. That's always been a thing for Bowie. Is like he's always got to be kind of control control of his persona and his his trajectory um and
1: uh i guess it also that also ties into uh you know changes and metamorphosis and the the uh topics he goes back to time and time again with his in his catalog
2: right and i and i think you can look at it like that especially when he gets to like i gaze the gazeless stare at all the millions here we must have died alone a long, long time ago, just kind of like he could tell the fame was coming, and that that kind of like that crushing animal that fame is. He could he could sense that, but I think you could also read into this as being as looking into like gods and angels as he does on this album. You could look at that as well, um, or also like the folklore of doppelgangers, and um, you know when one person has lost their mind, a doppelganger ganger essentially replaces them. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lyrically rich song and you can follow the story, you can follow the music and it never feels like a rock opera song. It doesn't feel like the music is secondary. They're intertwined as both being equals in this, this track. It's great.
1: And in the way you describe the lyrics, I think it makes the, um, the out, the outro where he does the vocalizations, uh, the, Oh, like really uh, an all time top haunted David Bowie moment. It sounds beautiful, but it kind of sounds haunted. Almost like he's having yeah. a realization that things are going to, you know, this is it. This is a, I'm on the doorstep of whatever I'm trying, you know, I've been trying to become an artist that's known for his music. I'm on that. I'm on the precipice of it. Is this really what I want? And then kind of like, if you're in a HP Lovecraft book and you see the thing that you just, it's so insane. It cracks your mind the howling there at the end of it kind of is like, up. Ah, his mind is cracked and it ties, ties together well with the lyricism. Um, True. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a strange, just a, the song between the, the worldly musicianship with the lyrics and tied in with the other songs in the album that kind of have some of the same themes. It definitely is perfection. it's a chess kiss five out of five. Hooray. Um, And because it's so good, even though it's it's extremely personal, it's definitely, you know, it's a it's a David Bowie song through and through. It's most well known for a cover, as we discussed, and it's been covered numerous times. Um, One of which, shame on me, I've been meaning to listen to for the podcast. I never got around to it. It actually was covered in the 70s by Lulu. Eric, did you get a chance to listen to that? Because if one of us did, it would have been you
0: nope oh god mark did you no i i am just reading about that right now because i didn't we cover uh talk about lulu um on another episode i want to say that we did that david bowie did something with lulu but maybe i'm no
1: that was that was your uh that was your metallica podcast the lulu <laughs> <laughs> uh no oh, shame gosh. on all of us uh big faux pas we did not listen to it i've been meaning to this entire time um yeah, I get Lulu kind of, you know, uh, reading about it, made out the, uh, of the song more popular than Bowie did, at least uh, in the 70s, it was released as a single. And um, I think Lulu was kind of like an adro- androgynous uh, uh, an avant garde pop artist. I'm not even really sure. Uh, we dropped the ball here, gentlemen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I've actually been listening to it while you've been talking uh-huh. and it's pretty good. It, yeah. There's a video, there's an official video for it. Promo video recommended. Check it
1: out. Uh, oh, okay. Thank you. We're not going to talk about what it sounds like, but Eric said it's pretty good. So I do know that David Bowie plays saxophone on it. So if you want some David yes. Bowie sax, there you go. Um, yeah.
2: It's a, it's a little noisy art rock from the seventies. It's, it, it, it works. It fits.
1: Okay. And dear listeners, you'll forgive me. The reason I didn't listen to the Lulu version and forgot about it was not because I couldn't quit listening to the Kirk Cobain version. It was because I am absolutely in love with the version by an artist named Midge Uru, which I heard a few years ago. Did either of you listen to that version of it?
0: No. Uh, but no. I figured that you would be telling me all about it.
1: You guys are fucking fools. Do yourself a favor and listen to it. It's, it's incredible. It takes... It takes the... Uh, Mijiru, I, I don't really know how to describe him. Besides, he's somewhere in between Peter Gabriel and David Bowie. Um, he was in a band, I believe, called Ultravox from the 70s. Oh, and, yeah,
2: that's a, that's a good band. Okay,
1: that was his band. And this is his solo work. And this is... It's it's like minimalistic electropop. It's like if Gary Newman. Dialed down the theatrics and dialed up the Viena robot. And um, we've talked about the sci-fi elements on this album, the fancy elements. Midyuru's version of it is almost like if you took this song and then you put it through Tron or HAL. It still has this cold sci-fi element to it, but coming from a different place. It's it, it's now all of a sudden it's like a Philip K. Dick thing instead of a uh, you know Lord of the Rings uh, uh, gunslinger thing. And, oh,
2: it's good. I I just listened to it like a clip. You're absolutely well, right. Uh, yeah, maybe
1: maybe maybe, maybe maybe the like the five times I probably sent you this fucking song via text ah, message you could ah, listen to it then. Uh, ah, <laughs> true. It, it's, uh, it's
2: Ultravox. Ultravox deserves their place in new wave history. They're fantastic. And uh, that was cool. I'm going to have to listen to more of that. I'm going to have to digest that.
1: I suggest both of you listen to it tonight before you go to bed. It's incredible. Um, And I was introduced to it through the Metal Gear Solid games because the Metal Gear Solid games have many, many references to David Bowie. And in the opening of the game, The Phantom Pain, they use Midge Uru's version of the song.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, I'll be definitely putting that on my to do list. That's uh that's that's good stuff. I'm glad that you are given such a glowing recommendation. So no, I'll I'll be sure to not only dig into that, but maybe some ultravox as well.
1: Good stuff. Yeah, and there's more there's more covers of it out there. Um but those are the ones that I felt were, were worth mentioning.
0: Well, excellent. Uh, So I think we should close out this album talk with uh, the last track, which is The Supermen.
1: is a clip from The Supermen, which is a super song. And super friend, Eric Anderson, can't wait to talk about it.
2: Uh, This one fits perfectly. Like, this is the perfect way to cap this album. Um, It's all Nietzsche lyrics uh, uh, referencing the Ubermensch, aka The Supermen. Thus spoke Zerathura. Um, Just the idea that um, the... These gods, these old gods, almost almost like H.P. Lovecraft, like ancient gods. Uh, uh, When the world was very young, the mountain magic heavy hung. The supermen would walk in file guardians of a loveless isle. Um, Eventually they hurt their creations out of boredom. They get so bored with creating this utopia that they they start hurting people. Uh, It's very similar to the to the uh, savior. Uh, save your machine um, and then uh, finally at the end of the song though so softly a super god cries far out the red sky, far out the sad eyes strange mad celebration so softly a super god dies finally the gods hit to die at the end um, it's an epic it's an absolutely epic track it takes a little while for me as a listener to enjoy it as a song because the melody doesn't It doesn't start with it. It's a very spoken word at the beginning of the song. But at some point in the halfway mark, the lyrics and the music find their little nexus and they just start uh, jamming to the end. It is uh, it's it's very, very epic.
0: Yeah, that mid that would go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I do agree. No, Mark, you go go ahead, Steve. Sorry. Okay, I'll go. Okay. Perfect. Um, I'll let you close out this discussion on it then. Um, so I do agree with, uh, it's very Epic. It, uh, definitely is, uh, very theatrical. You got drums that, uh, are definitely summoning King Kong here at the beginning. Um, you gotta love that. Uh, you got Bowie kind of singing through his teeth on this one, very over enunciating, um, his, his, uh, his words. Um, he's, Essentially, his vocal delivery, I liken it to him reading out his grocery list, uh, very angry over his uh, an over-enunciating British accent. Um, apparently, the guitar riff was given to Bowie by Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Um, and I apparently, we haven't discussed this album yet, and I'm looking forward to it because it's been quite a while since I've heard it, but apparently... This same riff was later used in the 1997 uh, song from Earthling called Dead Man Walking. Um, Those are my only little tidbits on this one. I I do like this song, but it's not one that uh, the theatricality of it all uh, sort of takes me out of it because of, you know, some of the stronger songs that were on this album that had a little bit more of a flow and melody to them. But I do appreciate it for its artistic, um, I guess, reaches that it's trying to execute on. Steven, what, what do you think about well, this Well, first, one?
1: because I want to remain on brand tonight. A theme I've been having is that when we're done talking about a song, I'm going to talk about that song again. I wanted to remind everyone that uh, The Man Who Sold the World, there's that great Saturday Night Live performance with Klaus Nomi from 1979. That's always worth yes. revisiting. Yeah. So go back and watch that. Um, this song. Yeah, this song's fun. Like I, I did make a note. Those ridiculous drums. I'm glad you mentioned them, mark. I don't know what they were doing there. Boom, bubble, 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 You know, I don't. <laughs> and then the, the and then you've got Bowie with the. Ooh, ah, it's a it's it's very, very strange. The choice it, it, it is. It's almost like something off a of ball the way it starts out, which I would, I went back and listened to it, and I think I liked that whole thing better than you guys did. But, um, then, but to Eric's credit, when he mentioned that it kind of syncs up, I do think in the middle of the song, it kind of figures out what it wants to be. And, um, there's actually a great, great little guitar, guitar section. It's not quite a solo. It's just a little like, uh, they figure out how to really just make that riff work. um, and I like the outro where they do some kind of sonic effect and Bowie's voice just kind of goes out into the stratosphere, uh, he- heralding the end of the album, um, almost in a Diamond Dogs way. Uh, that, that Diamond Dogs track that skips a whole bunch kind of gives me that same vibe. It's a weird song. It's a The lyrical themes are definitely they're, they're Bowie bread and butter. Um, you know, the Ubermensch and all that stuff you know, the, the, the Grant Morrison playbook. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a strange song to add the album on, but somehow it really works as an album closer for this record. I think, I, 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 think if you, if you end the album with the man who sold the world, it's almost too on the nose. I think you needed something a little bit more weird. And this is what the track, this, this fits.
2: Yeah. it it It's basically like, uh, you know the the whole like I don't know, to go back to the lyrics here it, it it's perfect for this album because it's 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 looking inward your relationship to the good and evil in the world that's what a lot of the songs are about and in this one it's taking that nietzsche approach to di- god's dying right so nietzsche said god is dead um what that meant was you know humans had no more use for God. Um, And so this song kind of plays it out when God's become cruel, when they treat, when, when, when people live with so much strife where you, you have to really question why would a God treat us this way? Suddenly we stop believing we have less use for these gods. So it's taking that idea of God is dead and applying it to like, when life is so cruel, for so many people, why would they believe in God anymore? Uh, I think it's an important message. Uh, somebody that likes existentialism <laughs> so fucking nerdy. Uh, I appreciate the song very much. It just takes a little while to become a song.
0: Yeah. I
1: like it. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it, it was played in the, the I, I don't think they revived it. For many of the uh, a later 90s tours or the 20,000s tours. But they uh, definitely did play it a bit in the early 70s. So there you go. It's definitely it an early a s- lot
2: of uh, a lot of B-sides for Ziggy. There were some other versions of the song. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it definitely. It definitely belongs in the late 60s, early 70s Bowie uh, section of his, his career. It fits perfectly. So that's it. That's the man who sold the world. That was a fun one to talk about and sit with. I, uh, let's, uh, our lightning bolts. I'll give this one a four. I think that it rocks really hard and it rocks well. And the high highs are as high as highs can get. And there's three of them, which I already listed off, which is for me, all the madmen, savior machine and the man who sold the world. And bonus points for being tied to the Nirvana song. Bonus points for being tied to the Metal Gear Solid games. Uh, bonus points for Width of a Circle. Uh, it's a really good record. Uh, the, low, the low points, you know, Black Country Rock is ridiculous. And then that uh, that sex jam is just absolutely nonsense. And, you yeah, know, but those, you can't, you know, it's uh, it has a... It's still, it's two thirds of the album is damn near perfect in my opinion. So real good time, real fun. And somehow strangely a good record for the the world we're in right now. Like this, this exact moment, this record just sounded like it made sense to me. It just sounded like, yep, it makes sense for listening to this album right now. So four, the number four.
2: I give this one a 3.5 out of five. I was so impressed by it. I going into it was blind for the most part. And I found it very intellectually stimulating and the music just rocks so hard. But when I'm in a Bowie mood, that's not necessarily the sound that's in my head. Uh, because he was so not involved in the production and the sound, the sound of this album. Um, um, and and for that, I'm not trying to discredit how good it rocks. This album rocks. It's just not Bowie's sound. He's he's not. A, he's, he, it's not his input. Um, and and props to the band. I mean, Ronson and Visconti could have made a metal band that was legendary. They were. It, this is by far the hardest Bowie album. Like it's hard. It's it is a hard, chunky album. I, I enjoy it. Um, I would say the low lows are not unlistenable, but, uh, I just can't give it a four because the, the, the lowest songs on my four albums are still better than the, uh, the couple tracks on this that are, that are, that are not the best. So, but I, but I enjoy it and I was super impressed by it.
0: So I agree with Steven on this one. My lightning bolt ranking is a a four. Um, I feel that this album has stronger parts than it does have weaker parts and even on the weakest parts, um, I still get some semblance of enjoyment out of them. Um, big highlights for me is not only the title track but width of a circle, all of the Madmen. Uh, I actually do enjoy some of that swagger on Black Country rock after all. Um, Savior Machine. And that's about it. Superman um, and Shook, She Shook Me Cold. She Shook Me Cold is my least favorite. Um, Running Gun Blues uh, doesn't really do a whole lot for me in terms of uh, where it hangs with the rest of uh, the strong uh, tracks that are rest on this album. And then Superman, um, I do appreciate it, but it's not necessarily my style of Bowie that I I, I prefer. Um, I do like more of the melody and the song craft and the arrangement, uh, on some of his more classic songs. Um, but in terms of where it hangs in my rankings, I, I feel that it is one of his more stronger records. I feel that it is his first strongest record. Yeah. If you kind of look yes. at chronological, yeah. absolutely um, yeah. So um, highly enjoyable album, extremely easy to listen to and um, really get excited about um, because I feel that this is really laying down the, the blueprints about uh, all what is yet to come. So strong four out of four out of five for me. Um, I feel this is a great, great effort uh, with that. Is there any B sides um, that we need to be discussing? Because I'll just go ahead and preemptively say I did not uh, I did not listen to any of the B-sides. Uh, you're
2: of you're you're point. fine. Um, pretty much the only B-sides were five songs, an EP worth of Arnold Korns. Now, we talked about Ar- Arnold Corns. It was the yeah, I think we, I, I, side project.
1: I think we talked about those actual songs, too. Fairly certain we did.
2: We, we talked about all of them except for the one the one that was not on any other album was frightening lightning and i only bring it up
0: you can, I think it's lightning frightening but oh oh yeah. shit
2: you're right lightning frightening
0: why did i write that backwards that's bizarre
2: um you can go listen to it there's a lot of great harmonica playing it's whatever um but what i think is interesting is that if you go listen to the band crazy horse who would end up being neil young's backing band their uh there's dirty dirty uh from the same year is the exact same chord progression as this song it's a it, it's it, you can tell that they just were jamming on dirty dirty and uh that became frightening lightning anyways it's an interesting uh once again i'll use the word nexus uh, but you, we've already talked under corns there's not a lot to talk about b-sides that's it
0: Excellent. Oh, well, I think it's time to roll that diamond dice and see where we're going to next.
1: All right, you got you got the dice, Eric. That's right. What's oh next? man, we're down. So it could, it could we're getting to the strange bedfellow albums. I'm hoping for uh Let's see. I hope it's going to be. Let's do Young Americans. I'm I'm thinking Young Americans. Let's see. Tell me what we got
0: three three is aladdin sane
1: that's good that's almost as good as young americans that's fun that's a that's a good classic album there you go right yeah so uh eric rolled a
0: three Which, uh, when we uh, renumber. God damn it. Quit explaining the the math. Just. (laughs) just All right. (laughs) Sounds like nonsense when you say it out loud. (laughs) Okay. So, Eric rolled a three, which equals to uh, Bowie's sixth album, which is Aladdin Sane. Uh, So, we're going to do Aladdin Sane on our next proper episode. And whatever these guys want to come up with for a B side, we may do that first.
1: Well, Um, that's got to be. Raw power. There you go. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll listen to a uh, raw power. That's fun.
0: We'll do another Iggy Pop. Yeah.
1: There, there we go. And then, uh, all right. Yep. Now we know what we're gonna do. Let's. Excellent. Right, Let's guys, go.
2: That was fun. that was fun. A deep dive, and I'm looking for. I've now. Aladdin Sane is the exact same situation I've been in with this album. I've not given it a run through. So, total blind spot for me. Excited.
0: All right, perfect. Uh, well, guys, it's always been a pleasure. Um, and for all you listeners out there, please stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And we hope that we brought you closer to Pod.
2: We never lost control.
0: Your face to face. With the who of the world. Oh, no, not
2: me i never lost control
1: your face to face with the man's
0: soul